You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 181 and 182 of Reading Through the Bible in a Year. Of course, you have joined the oral tradition where Matt and I are simply following the story, talking about the story, as if we're sitting around a campfire complete with my guitar. Glad you're with us. We are starting a new book, my friend. Yeah, we are. Today's Old Testament reading is 2 Kings chapter 1 through chapter 4, verse 37. Now, quick note for the listener's edification. Of course. Uh, Kings, 1 and 2 Kings, was originally one document. What? I know. You mean these numbers? And these chapters aren't in the original scrolls? Correct. Wow. Yeah, I know. Just trying to blow everyone's mind. Well, that's for our edification. Yes. After a thousand years, we realize this book is really important. Let's break it down into uh, sizable chunks for us to memorize and to remember because it's so important. Cool. Second Kings. Second Kings. We are wrapping up the ministry of Elijah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, great story here. What king is... What, what's going on, Matt? So we have Ahab's son, uh, Ahaziah. Yeah, it's best just to pronounce this like a sneeze. Ahaziah. Right. Ahaziah. Ahaziah. This is a great little story. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> Ahab died in battle. Ahaziah. There you go. Bless you. Uh, comes to power. He's... No different from his dad. and But he does one thing that's like, he just does something really bad here. It's a new bad thing, apparently. Well, yeah, so he falls from an upper story in his house after two years of a solid, solid two years of reigning, which we kind of see this. Like after like a really bad king, their son comes up and they have like two years and then, some, yeah. and then they die. Uh, so. You get two years to make it right. But it's weird in today's readings... We're going to have two, in the Old and New Testament, two stories of people falling. Through lattice work, yeah. Yeah, so the lattice, no window panes, just like a lattice. He falls through, he's laying sick in his bed, Mm -hmm. and he does something that I guess up until this point hadn't really been done by a king. Yes. They'd worshipped Baal, Yes. but he actually calls for like a prophet of Baal. Yeah, he asks one of his servants, hey, go to Ekron, which is a Philistine country, city. And he says, go ask. Uh, so in the reading, it says ba- Beelzebub. Yeah. So this is where we get Beelzebub. But uh, the whoever's writing this is making a mockery of the god. Right. Uh, it's actually Beelzebul, which is uh, Baal is prince, but Beelzebub means Lord of the Fly, right? which is hilarious. But he uh, he asks, hey, go find a prophet from Baal in Ekron, and I want to find out what the prophet, if that prophet thinks I'm going to live. Yeah. Um, and so this was, again, like usually in times of crisis, they at least turn to a, like a prophet of God. Right. But he's like skipping that and going straight to, I just want to hear what Baal has to say about me. The full extent of kind of their departure from following God is now we believe fully in these other gods. So that's when God says, what, is there no God in Israel? Are you serious? Like 
there's no God in Israel. You have to go out to the people that you've been worrying godless. against. Yeah. Really. Okay. So he lets Elijah, Elijah has another work to be done here. And Elijah is sitting on a hill, right? And the king, um, why does the king send anyone no, no, to No, no, yeah. Okay. So God tells Elijah about this. Yes, that's right. And she says, go confront the messenger. Say, ask the messenger to go back to the king and say, is there no God that's right. in oh, Israel? That's right. And this is great. And says, uh, and tell the king he'll never recover. And then the king says, what did this guy look like? Yeah. And they describe basically John the Baptist and Elijah. He wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist. And then the king's like, oh no, is that Elijah? <laughs> Elijah the Tishbite? Ah. Uh. like, they must have had costume parties at the royal palace where people would dress up like this guy. But all the kings know, well, especially Ahab. Here is what, because he's been on the most wanted list yeah. for years during a drought. Exactly. And so he's like, I know this guy. Oh, no. So then he's like, all right, I'm going to send a captain with 50 men. Go take, grab Elijah, bring him to me. See what he has to say. And so the captain shows up and says, oh, man of God, come down. And so the implication is that the captain's being snarky. Yeah, he's mocking. And, and First mocking, of all, man of God, yeah. like, you're a waste of our time. Yeah, he's mocking Elijah. And so Elijah says, oh, if you really think I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Boom, consumed. Fire comes down. Not the first time in Elijah's ministry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so then, second, round two. Second time, same thing. Same thing. This one's even more disrespectful and says, he's like ordering to come down quickly. Don't waste our time. Stop wasting our time. Right. Fire comes down from heaven again, consumes all of them. Now, the third guy shows up, and he comes up to Elijah on his hands and knees, begging for mercy. He's like, please spare my life and the lives of the 50 men behind me. Please, just come with us if you have found favor in in our eyes. And the angel of the Lord actually tells Elijah, don't be afraid of him. He's sincere. Go up to him and go to the king. Yeah, it's safe to go to the king. He's not going to kill you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you tell him this message. There is a God in Israel, and Mm -hmm. uh, you should inquire him. And so now you're not going to live through this. And then that kind of ends the scene, right? Like That's where uh, Elijah had spoken the word of the Lord, and then uh, Jehoram became king in his place in the second year. Yeah, so... Isaiah is done. Is done, and his brother Jehoram uh, becomes king. Now, this is going to be slightly confusing for us because there are going to be two Jehorams. Yeah. Uh, there will be an Israel Jehoram and a Judah Jehoram reigning about the same time. Yeah. So, kind of like, will be kind of confusing. A little but Elijah bit. never gets around to anointing Jehu, does he? No, Elisha does. Good. Well, that uh, brings us to the, the chapter two. Elijah's time is up, mm-hmm. and of course, he has an amazing um, exit from all of this as an amazing prophet. He basically is um, telling Elisha, I gotta go, yeah. and keeps telling Elisha, stay here, stay here, and then all the prophets are like, just leave him alone, Elisha, or something. They're like, do you know where he is? Like, it's all well, kind of no, yeah. So the so every they keep going all these different places to the different cities: Gagal, Bethel, and Jericho. And every time they approach a city, a group of prophets comes out, takes Elisha aside, and like, we heard from God that 
your master's going to be taken away. Do you know that? It's like, yes. And Elisha's like, please, I don't want to know. Like, we're good. Like, yeah. stop talking. And so he keeps, they, Elisha just continues to follow Elijah. Elijah keeps telling him, just stop. Uh, like, don't make this any but harder. This is like his farewell tour. Yes. And uh, he's getting ready to go. Yeah. And is it true, though, Elisha is just showing his, like, tenacity in, I will be with you, Elisha. Nothing's going to stop me. Yes. So stop telling me to go away. Mm-hmm. I'm following you. Yeah, and I think, I think Elijah has, this is just me, but I think Elijah does not want Elisha to follow in his footsteps because he thinks, my life has been hard, your life's only going to be harder. Right. And so he's, I think he's trying to, in his mind, spare Elisha from the life ahead of him. Right. And so, but Elisha is adamant, he follows him, they go up to the Jericho River, Mm -hmm. and... Elijah rolls up his cloak and smacks the river, and the river splits. And the river is the Jordan. Yeah. It's high significance. Yeah, and so they both cross the Jordan on dry ground, get to the other side, and once they're on the other side, Elijah's finally like, what do you want? Yeah. And so I've always read this. I've never read it with this significance, but after reading the whole story and understanding the significance of the term double portion, yeah. I finally understand, oh, I get what he's asking for the first time. Uh, so, what is it? So before I always thought, oh, he's asking for twice the amount of spirit or blessing right. that Elijah had. No, he's asking for the inheritance of the firstborn. A double portion is what you give is uh. the, the firstborn's inheritance. And so he is asking whatever's on me plus whatever was on you. I want to inherit what you have. Nice. And so it's like he's the spiritual son of Elijah, and he wants to be known as I'm your son. Oh, and that makes sense too because when the uh, he sees chariots of fire. Mm -hmm. And And so Elijah says, you, okay, that will only happen if you see me depart from you. Right. If you get to see me depart from you, then you know that's happened. Well, and and then Elisha cries out, my father, my father. Yes. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. So there is like the idea of inheritance, mm-hmm. and all that was Elijah's is now given to. He gives him the cloak, mm-hmm. and um, he gives him more than that. He gives him the inheritance, like everything that was Elijah's is now Elisha's. Yeah, the prophetic ministry. And so this pretty much then um, sets up, the rest of this chapter sets up then, Elisha has to prove it. Kind of to himself and to everyone in Israel and everyone, he has to kind of do a little tour of like I really succession am proof. the successor, right, to Elijah. And so that's what it starts off with him. I think he splits the Jordan too, right? He yeah. Goes back. So he he takes Elijah's cloak that had fallen, and he strikes the water with it, saying, "Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah?" And the water splits, and. I don't know. I that saying always sticks out to me as yeah. like he's going, "Where are you, God?" And the question really is, "Are you with me?" Yes. And then God immediately shows him, just like I was with Moses splitting the Red Sea, with Joshua splitting the splitting the Jordan, and with Elijah splitting the Jordan. So I'm with you. And he splits the Jordan again, mm-hmm. which again is this boundary into and out of the Promised Land. Pretty great. Um, then he has to go and kind of show himself. He has to kind of prove himself. He has to prove that Elijah actually went up 
to the prophets. The prophets are like, no, search for him. Maybe he just went in the spirit somewhere else. And yeah, because I mean, Elisha's like, no, I know. I yeah, saw him go, I saw up. Him go up. But he's kind to them and looks and, and says, they go and look for like three days. Three days, and they're like, okay. So he's in Jericho at this point. Now remember, Jericho has been rebuilt at the cost <laughs> yeah. of a man's oldest and youngest son. And the place is cursed. Surprise, surprise, the place is under a curse. The, yeah. the water is bitter and is causing... Um, Miscarriages and cancers yes. and all sorts of things. And so they are, the people of the city come up to Elisha and ask a man of God. So this is where I think the story for, if you're looking at the story of Jericho, this is where the story of Jericho turns. Right. Is they finally inquire of God, a man of God, can you help us? Can you save us? And so Elisha says yes. He gets uh, some salt, which again is like a pure, like a agent of purification, right. a symbolic purification agent. And it's not really the salt, but it's the word in the mm-hmm. salt. It's God's power, and He sprinkles it in the water, and the water becomes pure, and the land is released from a physical curse. Like living waters now uh-huh. is what it makes me think of. And we're going to see Elisha do three things. Heal the water in this land. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see him, the next story, de- uh, be defended against attacks, against his uh, authenticity as the next prophet. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to see him do a resurrection. So three major things to prove. So the next one is, it, it's... It says 42 boys yeah. come out, but it's kind of like people who are these men or young boys who are being set apart for prophetic ministry, perhaps, or for something. They're practicing. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're soldiers in practice. Anyway, it's a large group, and they start mocking Elisha, saying, you're, not, you're basically not the next prophet. You're just a bald guy. So they say, go up, bald head, which is, like a, again, a reference to how he's saying Elisha is the only one who saw Elijah disappear. Right. And so they're saying, well, why don't you go up like Elijah did? Yeah, you didn't see anything. You're yeah. crazy. Yeah. And and then Elisha, Elijah was also very hairy, and apparently Elisha was not. So, again, they're like, you can't be Elijah's son. You don't even look like him. But see, this is like what just happened with the fire coming down mm-hmm. through Elijah. Mm-hmm. And you see something like this in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira. When you're questioning the work of God and the Holy Spirit, yes, you're opening yourself up. Like that's uh, a really big and dangerous thing to do. So there's a new ministry of the Word, which Israel desperately needs, and 42 young men mocking are not going to stop this. Yeah. And so uh, he comes out and says, um, "What does he say?" Basically, he, just, he curses them in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, and two she bears came out of the woods and and mauled 42 of the boys. <laughs> And so then this, this kind of establishes, this goes throughout because mm-hmm. people talk and they're like, yeah, he has the same kind of power. He has the same kind of miraculous power and, and authority and authority to speak the word of God. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the great, uh, an even better story. Oh, do we, we have a uh, break before we get there. Yeah, we end so. with Elisha. Now we go back to, so we take a break. Elisha's set up. Now we're going back to the political intrigue of Israel and Judah. Yeah, so Moab, uh, remember Lot's kids down in the southeast. Lot's incestuous kids. Yes. Uh, so they are, they were a vassal state to Israel for a while during Ahab's reign and Omri's reign. But 
after Ahab died, they rebelled. And so now uh, Jehoram, who is Ahab's son, is like, I want to prove, I want to go get this vassal state back in order. Yeah, and he does something that Ahab did. He calls out to the Judah, king of Judah. He calls out to Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, will you join me? And this is Jehoshaphat's second time now. Yeah. And he says, yeah, I went with Ahab. I'll go with you. And again, Jehoshaphat is still like the Christian friend. Mm -hmm. He's like, have we asked a prophet about this? But this is after it's already a mess. So it's the king of Edom, king of Judah, and the king of Israel all go out. And and they're going out to uh, put Moab straight. And they get in over their heads. They don't have enough food, their water for all all their company. Yeah, so Moab Moab is kind of in a desert region, and so they kind of get out there and realize, oh no, there's no water, we don't have anything. That's when Jehoshaphat's like, hey, have we asked a prophet about this? Yeah. Oh man, we should have done this before we left. I know. So he's like, all right, and they find Elisha. So this this also kind of validates Mm -hmm. Elisha has come up as the prophet. Yes. So there's lots of prophets in the land, but we know Elisha is the one that has the powerful authority to speak God's word, so we call him in. And Elisha... <laughs> I love his response. So he gets in front of Jehoram, and yeah. he's like, what do I have to do with you? Yeah. Like, what? why are you talking to me? And, and he says, go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. <laughs> but the king of Israel says, no, it's the Lord who called us together and to give us into the hand of Moab. And so Jehoram's like going, God, God Yahweh is trying to destroy us. So I need Yah- I need a prophet of Yahweh to speak for us right. on our behalf. When things are going awful, they always come around to, all right, I guess I'll go back to this God. Yeah, I guess God's working against us again. Um, and Elisha Shah does something really interesting. He says, bring me a wait, musician. Wait, wait, before we get there, though. Oh. I just love the fact that he says, um, fine, I'll do this for you, but I'm only doing it because I have regard for Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Only because your Christian friends stand behind you? Yeah. Um, okay. I'll do it. But if if it was just you, Jehoram, know that I wouldn't do this for you. Yeah, I'd let you just die. Now, this is where he says... And then he says, so Elisha says, bring me a musician. Yes. And they get him a musician, and the musician plays some kind of beautiful music that helps him center and hear from the Lord. Yes. Which is, the, this again, this powerful idea that there's something about music... Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And this is where the Lord speaks to Elisha and basically says, I'm going to fill the land with little pools of water. I'm going to refill the streams, but without rain. It's like a miraculous filling of water for mm-hmm. all the animals and for everything. And it happens. And then the beautiful part of it is Moab wakes up the next day, knowing it hasn't rained, it hasn't done any of that, and sees pools, but from a distance it looks like pools of blood. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way. I mean, how else would the, the earth be soaked? Yeah. So it had to be blood. It looks like the three kings turned on each other. Great, let's go take their stuff. And this is how the Lord gives victory. They, they approached uh, Israel, Judah, and Edom, and they basically get beat up. Completely. But something weird happens. Uh, yes. So what I, I think, here's right. what I think happens. Okay. I think Israel under Jehoram, mm-hmm. is a little too brutal. Yeah. Like, they're doing more than they ought to. They're not trying to wipe out Moab. They're trying to get them to pay their taxes. Mm-hmm. And so I think Judah and Edom are, are with... They're helping out their friend yeah. Israel. 
Israel's going crazy, killing, to the point where the king of Moab gets on the wall, yeah. apparently in front of everybody, mm-hmm. and gets his firstborn son, the successor to his kingdom, and kills, sacrifices him to the god of Molech, basically on stage in front of everybody. And it's so disturbing that I think Judah and Edom are like, this is messed up. Mm-hmm. And so it says the wrath of God was on Israel for this. Uh, it just says, it's an interesting statement. It says there came great wrath against Israel. Yes, it's not, I read it at first as like God's mm-hmm. mad at Israel. But no, it's, it's, I think the other countries helping were disgusted. And so was Israel. Like, oh, this has just gotten weird. Well, and so they all turn around and go home. They're like, all right, we made our point here. And what else can we do? We can't kill the king of Moab and then his son is dead. And this is gross. And I don't know. I feel like they got a moment where when you pursue a, like a life of sin and you just, the curtain is lifted and you see it's like death and it's mm-hmm. grossness. Because I think they all worshiped gods like this. But I don't know if Israel and Judah had been sacrificing children yet. So I think the thing that in ancient cultures, which you were telling me about at one point, um, where to redeem, like these ancient cultures just kind of had this idea where if you wanted to lift the sin off of your nation, yes, you yes, would yes. sacrifice your firstborn sons. Right. And so the king, in desperate, like, I... And done. I'm sorry for rebelling against you. Please stop. Yeah. Please stop the judgment. I will kill my son. I will oh. kill my firstborn son to stop this judgment. It does pay. And, it and I think it, it atones for it. And so I think there's one, a recognition of, oh, we've gotten to this king to an ultimate low. Like, there's nothing else we can do right. other than just completely wipe him out. But that's not why we're here. And okay, we see that, and we're going to walk away now. And, yeah, it's time to be done. So I do think there is, like... And it starts to even make sense of, like, why God sacrificed all the... or killed all the Egyptian firstborn sons. And, it's again, it's a removal. Like, that's the final payment. Yeah. You are no longer held accountable to the sin that you have caused as a nation. And what's the worst thing you can do? Take not only on an emotional level, take away my son, my firstborn, mm-hmm. my inheritor, um, but also you're taking away the future of like that kingdom, the fertility and mm-hmm. the, all that stuff. So, well, in contrast to what Moab does, you have Elisha doing his uh, third miracle for us, where um, actually there's like kind of two miracles in this one. The f- he starts off with a, um, a wife of one of the sons of the prophets. Mm -hmm. cried to Elisha. She's like, my husband died, and now the creditors are coming to take my kids as slaves because I can't pay. And Elisha does, again, it's so funny. It's like he probably just learned from Elijah Mm -hmm. and said, oh, let's use the old oil, the old oil trick. Mm -hmm. He says, go get as many pots as you can and uh, and just pour the oil from your, you have a little bit of oil left, keep pouring it in Mm -hmm. to these other ones. And it was just endless. It was a miracle of provision. She has so many of these vessels full. She's like, what do I do now? And he has to tell her, well, pay the creditor with it and then live off of it. Mm-hmm. So that's a miracle. Why would he care about a widow, one of the prophet's wives? Uh, because the prophet served him. The prophet He's... served him. I mean, because he cares. It's a relationship. I just love that the prophet can care for one little person 
He can also care for the king and the whole nation. Mm-hmm. And that's like the work of Jesus, right? But then um, there's another kindness where uh, another lady takes the prophet in as he travels and then builds him a little Elisha room, a yeah. special room whenever he's traveling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, whenever you come to Shunem, just there's a special room set aside. And so even the idea is, because Shunem is like super north. Uh, it's like one of the most northern cities of Israel on the west side of the Jordan. And so she even, like, what's interesting is she can't, like, there's like a language barrier. Mm. So he has to have his, like, servant, like, interpret between them whenever they're talking. What's his, yeah, Gehazi. Gehazi. Sweet Gehazi. But I'm even thinking about, like, the women taking care of Jesus. It's kind of cool that Mm -hmm. there's a woman who cares, understands the word of the Lord through this guy and says, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, so, like, she she would understand that, oh, this guy's a man of God, so she tells her husband, I want to build this room. They build this room. And then, so, Elisha then asks the servant, hey, can you speak to the woman? And ask her, what does she need? Does she need anything? Because like, no. if I can give her anything, that'd be awesome. And she says, no, I'm, I'm good. And so then he's asking Gehazi, well, like, do, do you think she lacks anything? And he finally says, well, she doesn't have a son. She does, there is no heir for this house. Yeah. And so he's like, awesome, bring her in. And then she's she responds, like, this obviously is um, a big deal to her. She's like, don't lie to me. Something she really wants, I think. Well, yeah, because he tells, this time next year, you'll have a son. Don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up. Well, she has a son, so there's a kind of miraculous birth. Yeah. But then, in a a broken world... And in a weird turn of events, very similar to something Elijah experienced. It's very interesting. It's like the enemy or somebody... You know, I don't know if the the enemy tries to kill these blessed children, but the kid dies, and she then... This reminds me of the story of, like people going after Jesus, taking the roof off to get to Jesus, mm-hmm. like with, in great spirit of tenacity and like, no, I want, get some coffee. No, I want uh, Elisha. She sent, she goes and finds uh, Elisha and Gehazi and Elisha's like, hey, Gehazi, take care of this for me. What's up? Gehazi says, oh, son's died. Oh, uh, no, she, Gehazi. She get, okay, so Gehazi says, runs. It's not no, it's, um, she says, to them, my son's died. He says to Gehazi, take my staff back. Yeah. And lay it sure. on. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Don't tell me no ever again, Gehazi. <laughs> I am Elisha <laughs> in this situation. <laughs> and so she says no. She's like, I don't want Gehazi. I want you, Elisha. Well, yeah. So he originally has Gehazi run down. He sees her from the mountain. He says, Gehazi, go down. Find out if everything's okay. She says to Gehazi, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Because she doesn't want to deal with him. She wants to deal with Elisha. But you're right, though. The translator thing, that's why Mm -hmm. that makes sense. It's not like Elisha's like, oh, you deal with her. No. And so she goes straight to Elisha and grabs onto his ankles. and, And Gehazi, like, tries to, like, take her off. And he's like, Elisha's like, no, no, stop. Something's wrong. She's in terrible distress, and the Lord is not revealing it to me. Yeah. And so she finally says, my son is dead. And so he says, Gehazi, run ahead of us. Here's my staff. Lay my staff on the boy's body. And he promises uh, the woman, look, I will go back with you. Right. Don't worry. I'm just having Gehazi get up, up there ahead of us, right. and I will 
go back with you. And uh, so they get there. Kazi lays the staff on the boy. Nothing happens. He runs back, says nothing happens. And so they get to the house. Elisha locks himself back in the room. Again, very similar to the scene with Elijah. Yeah, he does what he was taught. He does what he was taught. I'm going to lay on the boy, transferring my my very own life, saying, touch through touch. Mm -hmm. And then praying to the Lord, and... And the he, boy ra- rises from the dead. He wakes up. Yeah, I was just thinking, though, you know, um, it's kind of really key for a prophet to recognize the Lord is not revealing something to me. Yeah. That's, like, just as powerful as the Lord revealing something to mm-hmm. him. And being able to go, the Lord's not revealing something to me right now, I think is really uh, mature and yeah. a true prophet, being able to recognize that. So he, he uh, raises this boy from the dead, and this this kind of concludes the section on Elisha for now. Mm-mm. I mean, he's gonna we're gonna hear more about him, but it, it concludes the uh, official authority. Like he yes, is the yes, official yes. prophet now. Like there's no mm-hmm. doubt this guy is not in the he's in the line of Elijah. God is going to and continues to care for Israel by having his prophets in place. Yes. Cool. What's our New Testament reading, Matt? Our New Testament reading for today is Acts chapter 20 through chapter 21, verse 26. This really is uh, Paul. Now, Paul's third missionary journey, it's kind of like his farewell tour as well. It's funny how it mm-hmm. lines up. With this like Eli- one lines up real well. It lines up with Elijah. Uh, you start to, the more you read this book, you, the more you start to see things are just being recycled and replayed. Mm-hmm at different times with a little bit different message, but mm-hmm. the message is always salvation. So Paul's leaving Macedonia. He's going uh, to Greece for three months on his way back to Jerusalem. So now the whole missionary journey is like, I'm going back to Jerusalem, stopping by. Um, oh, all these little places. All, all these little places. And he's trying to get back, we find out later, for in time for Pentecost. Mm-hmm. But um, he's spending time with people saying, hey, and there's just like a list of people. It's kind of cool. Like, he picks up one or two along the way, mm-hmm. um, and they list their names there in the beginning of chapter 20. But then, we had a question uh, we were talking about the other day, where where in the Bible does it say Christians worship on Sunday? Mm. You know, whereas mm-hmm. the uh, Jewish people are worshiping on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And there's a place in Revelation where John talks about it, but again, it's the eighth day. It's the first day of the week where Jesus rose from the dead, and you really get it here in chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul mm-hmm. talked with them. So Paul gathers on the first day of the week. They break bread. That's the day you're going to break bread. So they might worship all week long. Yeah. Break, break bread and tell the story. Right. Tell the story. And that is on Sunday. And so uh, I love uh, this story is great for, for two reasons. There's another resurrection. Yeah. But Paul is getting ready to leave, and they basically stay up all night. Paul's preaching, breaking it down, because they're so sad he has to move on. But that's kind of the key of this last part of the the third missionary journey is Paul is, like, keeping it moving. Mm -hmm. He can just check in. It's farewell. And he can't... The work has been done, and now the work's being transferred to them. Mm -hmm. And so he's given them a last encouragement on his way to Jerusalem. But he speaks so late into the night, this kid Eutychus. Again, there's a lattice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, upper upper deck, and he falls asleep and then falls to his death. And Paul just goes, don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. Yeah. Whoop. He just goes down, picks him up, 
and boom, he's alive. They took the youth away alive, and we're not a little comforted. I like how the Bible says that. Like, not a little comforted. Yeah. They're like, this is amazing. Yeah. And then I get the impression they stayed up the rest of the night mm-hmm. talking and praying and weeping. Uh, yes. And so then uh, we get some more traveling. He's stopping off at all these other places. And he decides to go past Ephesus because he just knows himself. Yeah. I think where he's like, I spent three years there. If I go there... I'm going to be there for I'm, a year. I'm going to be there forever. So he, he loves these people and... So he wants to still talk to them. So he actually is in another city and says... He's like a town over and says, Hey, can the elders of the Ephesus church come out and meet me? Because I at least want to just talk to them for a little bit. But I just can't go there. I'm yeah. just going to stay there. So he calls uh, for the elders of Ephesus to meet him over in Miletus, mm-hmm. and which is great. You're going, oh man, and then he has to tell them, like, kind of sets up. Remember who I am. Remember how I lived among you. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm doing. I'm leaving. I can't go back. But don't let. There's going to be wolves. There's going to be people who try to confuse you. Mm-hmm. Remember the gospel. You guys are the elders. You guys are the ones who. Uh, uh, he has a great line about how we serve the church full of the Holy Spirit. He goes, um, Pray caref- pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Mm. And he's like, I know as soon as I leave, all these things are going to happen, um, but you got to hang on. And um, it is, remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a very sweet heartfelt like meeting with these elders. And, and he knew, yeah, he purposely didn't go back to Ephesus because it would have been too hard. And so he reveals two things yeah. in this conversation with them where he says, uh, the Holy Spirit's been testifying to me in every town that I visit yeah. that when I go back to Jerusalem, I'm going to be imprisoned. <laughs> and he says, and then he says, and I think this is more of his opinion and it's not, necessarily from the lord but he he's guessing he's like uh i don't think i'm ever gonna see you guys again yeah honestly like being real honest i'm never gonna see this you guys it. again this is it and so that now this meeting is even more like emotional because they're like oh man this guy gave three years of his life to us he started us and now he's telling us i'm gonna be arrested and you're never gonna see me again i probably am gonna die in jerusalem so he goes from Miletus, and basically it's like the little island part of the tour. Yes. In roads and uh, kind of off the coast down to Tyre. He finally gets back to the coast of, of oh, Israel. Tyre. Tyre and Ptolemyus mm-hmm. and then Caesarea before he gets... But, but in, those, in that area, he hooks up with... So it just talks about him stopping at each place. There's always a couple of disciples at each of these places he... He checks in for seven days or four. Well, again, it's very much like Elijah's departure tour. Yes, yes. Prophets keep showing up in every town, saying, yeah. "The Holy Spirit's telling us not for you to not go to Jerusalem." And in every place, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, yes, it's so funny. The Lord's taking you away. Well, Don't go. <laughs> well, he gets to, and the biggest, the biggest part of this is uh, he shows up at uh to philip the evangelist yeah remember philip philip who led the ethiopian Mm eunuch to the lord he has four unmarried daughters who are prophesying and while they're there it's agabus again agabus is the guy who's going to talk about a drought or i believe he was a prophet we either heard earlier in acts 
Oh man! And, but he is a, right. They're around Philip, so Philip has a nice little ministry going. But but Agabus shows up and he takes Paul's belt. He binds his feet and hands and yeah, says, like... "The Holy Spirit says this is how the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt. Uh-huh. Don't go." And Paul's like, "I know you guys. I know, but I gotta go." And so um, he gets himself ready to go to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he meets James and. And James is like, tell us all that's going on. It's a great reunion, you know? Cause now, Paul, this is uh, brother of Jesus James. Brother of Jesus James. Um, so Paul tells about all that he's doing with the Gentiles, and they're so encouraged. But then James says, hey, look, we have thousands of converts here. Yes. But they're very Jewish. Yes. And they, the rumor has gotten out that for you to do all this Gentile work, you have not only disregarded the law, but you're like breaking down the law of Moses in our way of life. And you're telling other Jews, hey, you no longer have to follow the law of Moses. Which is, this is not the heart of Paul at all. He's yes. connecting it all. I mean, he's yes. going, look, Jesus and Elijah, me and Elijah, like we're all in the same, this is all the same movement. This is just the next scene. This is the next act mm-hmm. in the play. And so James goes, I know you know that, but here's what we think you should do. Uh, go purify yourself according to the customs, mm-hmm. not because you have to, but because you want to show the Jewish converts here that you still are about their way of life. You're right. still about the Old Testament, the way of Moses. Um, you just understand the, the way of Jesus. And then we, Paul, will verify, and they bring up the letter for mm-hmm. the third time now, the letter of what, and they even write it out. Luke records like... Um, this is what we believe concerning the Gentiles, and mm-hmm. we're so happy they're part of this, but they must abstain from this, but we're not requiring they live this life, the Under Jewish the, life. Yes. But we still like this way of life, mm-hmm. and God's not against it. And we think you do too, Paul, so let's just ease everyone's fears about who you, who they think right. you are and all these rumors that are going around and about Paul, your ministry. Paul is so cool, he does it. He's like, oh yeah, I he, can do that. He gets it. And for the sake of the gospel, he gets it. And he knows. He's like, you know what? I'm going to die for the name of Jesus Christ. I want to go yeah. to Jerusalem. And so he does. And uh, that's where we kind of... That's where we end it. And there's also, you know, just realizing the Lord forgives us for judgment and judging each other. It's not really our role. But Paul handles that with graciousness, I mm-hmm. think. And so ought we for the name of Christ. Yeah. All right. What's our psalm or proverb? So today I'm going to read Psalm 78, chapter 78, verses 56 through 72. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God, and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, And he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, 
like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Boom, you've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.